Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Weishi Coaching Radio Show, which is live on 91.8 Hayes FM. Today, we're not live. This is the podcast, so this is your chance to listen again or listen for the first time if you miss the show. The benefit of the podcast is that we get to chop out all of the adverts and hear all of the juicy stuff. The trouble with this podcast today in particular, I had a little bit of trouble with my mic actually, so although my guest has such amazing things to say, so I'm absolutely happy with it because um, she has so much to say that I barely spoke anyway. So the fact that I had some issues with my mic doesn't really matter, but you, you will still hear me, but it's a little bit low in comparison to my guest Natasha, but her words are gold and very valuable and I think you're going to enjoy this podcast. This episode is all about the 12 steps programs. It's about finding your true authentic self and sharing your story which is what this show is always about. People being able to share their story to help that one person at home that may be sitting there thinking I'm suffering and I'm suffering alone. This is Natasha's own personal journey and she was very brave in sharing it with us. I'm really truly grateful that she did and she even helped me on a very personal level as well. Um, I really believe that every guest that I have is a guest for a reason. Everything happens for a reason and I can take some insight and knowledge from each of my guests and learn something for myself. So even if there isn't somebody listening at home, they're helping me. And as selfish as that is, um, it's amazing and I'm so grateful to be doing the show and I'm grateful for anybody that is listening and if you do get help with it, please comment on the social media, let us know because it's always nice to hear. Um, What else did we talk about? We talked about mindset, 12 steps from a member's point of view, the 12 steps process of um, healing and coaching, Um, spirituality, medicating our pain through our addictions, Um, about God and religion. And we also talk about love. And Natasha feels that love is the way of healing for everything so I think you're going to enjoy this episode Um, I'm going to stop talking and we're going to dive straight in hello welcome back to 921.8 Hayes FM this is the way she radio show today my special guest Natasha is going to share her story so firstly Natasha is actually from the local area and we like to talk to local people Um, she's been on my podcast before and we talked about body positivity um, but I'd really love to, for Natasha to share her story from the beginning as much as you'd like to. <laughs> We've already discussed no swearing on the radio. <laughs> yeah, I'm being really mindful. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Natasha. Oh, wow. So going back to the beginning. Um, so I was born into um, a family that had, um, on either side, had history of mental illness um, addiction. I mean, the little that I know that from my mum's side, it was like a history of um, gambling and there was probably other addictive behaviours there. Um, on my dad's side, there was a mental illness. Um, there was uh, violence. There was alcoholism. So I and then my mum and dad got together and then I came along. Um, born into a Jewish family. And um, growing up was really difficult because um, obviously you know my parents were doing the best with the tools that they had but because of their upbringing they could only do you know what they could do for me so the home I grew up in was very violent Um, I saw a lot of violence I experienced a lot of violence Um, it was you know it wasn't really there wasn't any love in the home so um, I experienced a lot of rejection I you know I was told things that I was ugly I was disgusting um, that I made people feel sick. 
Um, and I kind of I sort of had to bring myself up. I mean, you know, there was food on the table and, and things like that. But um, I had a younger sister who was three and a half years or is three and a half years younger than me. And really, at a very young age, I was being the parent. So I was parenting her and looking after her and really doing what, you know, adults should have been doing. Um, so growing up was very terrifying. Um, it felt very unsafe, very lonely. And I learned at a really young age that I didn't have a voice, that I didn't have a right to say no, that I didn't have um, autonomy over my own body. And um, I, I guess I learned from very young that I didn't really have any value or worth and that I was there to be used, whether it be as a punch bag or whether it be for other types of abuse. And because I was very vulnerable, I went through a time where... Um, I was also subject to sexual abuse from a, a family friend. So it, I was kind of set up for it, really, because I was, as I said, I was quite vulnerable. Um, I had a dad that used to go away a lot, and I never knew why. No one ever told me why. I would just come home from school, and he wouldn't be there. And um, So, yeah, so it was all quite scary, and it was quite lonely, and there wasn't a single person I spoke to growing up about any of this so obviously it goes somewhere and now I understand that trauma does actually get trapped in your body in your brain and it just takes a process to, to for it to heal and for it to come out um, so because of that very very shaky and unstable foundation um, unsurprisingly I didn't really you know I had no sense of self-worth no sense of value no confidence and from going through things like that, I developed a lot of beliefs about myself. So I believed I was, um, you know, disgusting and ugly. I believed that um, I was there for people to use me. I believed that I didn't have a voice and I didn't have a right to use it. I believed that everyone else was more important than me. Um, and also I had this these beliefs around um, sexuality. So the way I related to men was I saw myself as a sexual object because that's what I'd been taught. That was my sexual imprinting from very young. Um, and so I would dress that way and I would behave that way and um, and I didn't know how to do intimacy, so I would be sexual with men quite quickly and I'd get into relationships very quickly without even knowing a man. Um, and I know so many people who have done this, but I'd get sexual very quickly, get into a relationship, and about two months in, I'd start sort of getting to know them a bit and then I'd start realizing oh we're not really suited um but by then it was too late because once I was in it sexually um that was it I was uh you know I was sort of hooked and I couldn't it was very very hard to break away so I had you know abusive relationships and um all of my relationships were very dysfunctional they were quite toxic um yeah, basically. Um, and also, I really went down the path of addiction with regards to drugs, alcohol, um, eating disorders, bulimia, anorexia, um, overeating, undereating, overexercising, um, all of that. We really just scratched the surface, didn't we, when we entered that topic of body image? Yeah. And we had a whole podcast about that one topic. Yeah. So we could probably have a podcast on all the others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, so... Uh, so really, my the way I was living my life was um, addiction was helping me to survive, but it wasn't on a conscious level. It wasn't. I didn't know that I was broken. So so when I was about eighteen, I went to live abroad, and to be honest, I was having a great time. I was partying. I was, you know, but I was very very broken on the inside. But I didn't realise. I thought I was a party girl. I thought I was, you know, just um, excessive with drugs and alcohol. Um, I didn't really, you know, I got into relationships, but it didn't occur to me that I was being drawn to certain types of dynamics and certain types of wounds in men that would then 
recreate what I'd learned in childhood, like rejection, abuse. Um, and so, yeah, so my life took me down that addictive process. I mean, really, I any addiction you could think of I had, um, apart from gambling, but I'm sure if I dug deep enough, I'd probably find something. Um, and I really think by the grace of God, I didn't go down the route, the route of a couple of drugs that could have really, I think, just wiped me out because I, I was just so addictive. Everything I did, I had to do it to excess. Um, so that went on until into my twenties. Um, and then in my twenties, I had a spiritual experience. So for me, I came to believe in Jesus and that was my spiritual experience. I just want to say I'm not into religion at all. I hate religion, but I'm into love and relationship. And that for me is who Jesus is. Um, and he literally has saved my life. So, um, so I had a spiritual experience in my early twenties and then very, very slowly my addictive behaviors were starting to be addressed. So it took a while, but I stopped drinking. I stopped taking drugs. I, I mean, I'm sort of trying to do the edited version. It, it wasn't like for me, it wasn't overnight. It wasn't an instantaneous thing. Um, but yeah, it was a process and it took some time. Um, and I never thought I'd be able to, cause I used those things to give me confidence, you know, when I went out and to help me to be me in a weird way. Um, but I was still that went, and I was still acting out with bulimia, anorexia. I was still doing all the disordered eating. I still had massive body obsession. Um, and I still had issues around relationships. Um, and I would still get drawn to certain types of men or I'd, 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 I'd have certain behaviors around men. So one of my behaviors was I could pursue a man that I didn't really want because I had no sense of being okay on the inside and I wanted that man to almost let me know that I'm an okay person. So I needed to know that they validated me, that they approved me and thought I was beautiful or this, that and the other. Um, and sometimes when I would get that man, I'd then think, oh my gosh, I don't even, you know, I don't even want this. What am I doing? So, um, so about seven years after my first spiritual experience, I ended up um, being guided to a 12-step fellowship. So for anyone who doesn't know what they are, it started with Alcoholics Anonymous uh, in the 1930s, and now it's branched out to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous. There's so many of them. Um, and I got guided to one of these 12-step fellowships. I went to one for food and body issues, um, but what happened was the stuff around men and relationships started to explode. So I kind of put that on a back burner and I now go to um, a 12-step fellowship that's called Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, um, which, you know, I don't really feel it sounds that cool. I'd rather, you know, it be another one. Like sometimes I've thought Narcotics Anonymous would sound a bit cooler. But, um, it, you know, everyone's behaviours around that are different. So f for me, it was getting very, very... Um, obsessed with the person I was with and turning suddenly turning into a child in the relationship and they'd sort of become a parent and I'd need them to look after me and that was because I'd never really learned to develop emotionally I'd never really learned to grow up um and I'd never learned how to be responsible and how to be an adult and how to look after myself and because of my childhood I actually thought that a man would come along and that his job was to rescue me and so I lived that out in my relationships and so um, I was divorced last year and one of the difficulties we had in our marriage was it was very difficult for my ex-husband because he felt like he became the parent and I was a five-year-old but what was going on is we were both acting out our childhood traumas but we had no awareness and so because of that our marriage was destroyed which is really sad and I think it happens to a lot of people they're totally unconscious and they're behaving in certain ways without any idea that it's rooted in childhood trauma um, and 
you know, Jesus himself said, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And that is literally what we do. We're totally unconscious. And it's only when we start to wake up and get a little bit of awareness around our behaviours that we can start to see them change. Amazing. <laughs> I just want to stay quiet because you can you speak so eloquently. Okay. And all of that amazingly. So that's very really brave of you to share that, that part of your story. Yeah. I'm I'm really interested to know though about the spiritual awakening. Was it that that led you to the twelve steps, which then led you to realize you had a conscious and unconscious mind? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I was completely unconscious. Like I just you know, the tip of the iceberg, you know, that thing about you've got a tip of the iceberg, but then like 99% of the iceberg is the bit you don't see. So the tip of the iceberg for me was taking the drugs, the alcohol, the um, sometimes the promiscuity or the toxic dysfunctional relationships or the people pleasing or the um, addiction even to friends, like, please don't leave me, I need you, you know, if you leave, if you leave me, I'm not going to survive. That was all the the, the tip of the iceberg and what I didn't know and what other people couldn't see was the 99% under, underneath the water and that was all where that behavior was coming from my, my childhood my 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 belief system that had come from the things I'd gone through in childhood um, and I just want to say that's why as well it's really it's really good to be aware not to judge people because it's so easy to judge the behavior mm-hmm. it's like judging the fruit but not seeing the root and you know and i've you know i've been guilty of that and i have been subject to that as well and 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 now i know that it's just foolishness to do that um i feel like that's actually probably day one of nlp practitioner training oh really when you learn about your mind your conscious and subconscious and you learn about your filters your filters are how you view the world yeah and that's based on your experiences from growing up your childhood all of those things um, make you filter. We get like 2,000 bits of information into our brain into, in any second. And we can only take in like seven bits. Mm. So you'll take in a different seven bits because of your filters that I'll take in, even though we're experiencing the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's why sometimes you can have an argument with someone and completely not hear a whole sentence because you're focusing on something else and, and you delete that bit of information. So we delete, distort and we generalize all of the information that, that comes into our system. Yeah, absolutely. And that stuff is fascinating. And it's so important mm. that it's so valuable for people to start realizing that and, and seeing that. And that thing about a filter, we get information, but it goes through a filter and then we interpret it in a certain way. Yeah. Um, and that understanding you get of yourself then helps you to not judge other people. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, that for me, the path that I've had, which has been so messy and dysfunctional and chaotic, even in recovery, even when I've gone into 12-step, I haven't been a 12-step poster girl. You know, it's been messy, it's been chaotic, it's been up, it's been down. But actually, that's a gift because it's very humbling. And um, and one of my survival behaviours was to either feel superior or inferior. So if I was just, you know, this uh, doing this perfect recovery, or I would definitely take that and use it to judge others because I had so little self-esteem that I needed stuff outside of me to make me feel good and that could be oh look how well I'm doing at this recovery program oh look how well I'm doing in this job oh this man finds me attractive everything was from outside of myself to try and make my inside feel good but what I've learned is nothing outside of me is going to fix the pain inside of me and um, so what what I've been coming to in recent months she was on a roll there so um yeah, I think I think what I was saying, which has become really important for me, and just to say, I have resisted this so much. You see, I was taught the language of self-hatred, and it was no one's fault, because I think what happens is, you know, people are born into families that are doing their best, 
but they're very dysfunctional, there might be addiction in it, then they grow up, then they have children, then they pass on what they know, and and the cycle just goes on and on and on. So it's not about blame, but it is about accountability, and it is about being aware of where these issues have come from. Um, So I was taught the language of self-hatred. I was taught very well to hate myself, very well to give myself a hard time, to beat myself up when I made mistakes, which was frequently all the time, um, and to think very little of myself. And now suddenly, you know, in my adulthood, I am learning that I need to learn a whole new language, which is the language of self-love. I have spent my whole life chasing things outside of me to make the inside feel better, whether it was a man, whether it was a drug, whether it was alcohol, whether it was a friend, whether it was a hobby, anything, whether it was money, whether it was being busy, whatever it was, I have spent my whole life chasing things outside of me to make my inside better and make my inside feel better. And um, what I'm learning is, and and some of you may be like, oh, I'm just going to turn off right now because I don't want to hear this, but it's about self-love and nothing outside of me is going to fix it. I, for me, my journey is um, partly 12-step, 12-step recovery, having a spiritual practice, um, starting to be brave enough. And, and we are really brave people, you know, when we start looking at this stuff. We're some of the most courageous people that have been put on this planet. Um, but it's starting to look at my stuff rather than making it about everyone else and going on that journey of healing for me and being the good enough parent that maybe I feel I didn't have. So me being the one to affirm myself, validate myself, um, tell myself I love myself, not beat myself up and go into sabotaging and self-destruct when I make a mistake or when I'm human. You mean parenting yourself? Reparenting. And, and you know, when I was first in recovery, I'd hear things like, be kind to yourself, Natasha, or, you know, you've got to reparent yourself. And I'd think, what on earth are they talking? What a load of jargon is that? I don't even understand that language. And I'm a bit careful. I don't like to use all the labels because I think it can sound a bit exclusive and not, you know, include everyone. But in the most simple terms, I can explain it. Yeah, it's about me trying to be the mummy or the daddy that I needed as a child that I didn't have and do it for me now and stop perpetuating the abuse that I've experienced because that's what we do when we carry on with the addiction, with the dysfunction. We just become our biggest abusers. So when did some of those pennies drop then? So you were going to these meetings and you were hearing people say these things and you were just like, what on earth are you talking about? And I'm assuming that the words are repeated to you week after week. At what point did the penny drop and you're like, ah, like that, that really resonates with me and yeah. I understand it now? Yeah, well, um, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, the journey from the head to the heart. Have you heard that phrase? Okay, well, I've heard it said that the longest journey in the world is the journey from the head to the heart. So um, I... I, I've been, I first got into 12-step recovery. My, my spiritual experience initially with Jesus was about 18 years ago. So that started to open me up spiritually. Um, but I still was very unconscious about childhood trauma that I'd gone through. And I, I had memories, but I was very detached from the actual feeling of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that started opening me up spiritually. Then I went into 12-step fellowship about seven years later. So for the last 10 years, I've been in and out of 12-step fellowship. And that's where I'm not the poster girl because I kind of went and then I'd go out and do my own thing, come back and go out. And it's been a very, very slow process. Um, and I'd hear information and I'd have it in my head, but it wasn't really penetrating my heart. And I'm still going through that process now. So it's still a process that I'm in of that information that I've been hearing in my head penetrating into my heart for me to really really get it and the self-love thing has been one of the things I've kicked against the most because there's been this resistance in me where I'm like no I don't want to do it myself I want someone else to do it for me surely if someone else loves me enough I'll be okay and I just want to say to everyone it's not going to work it's just not going to work 
You have to do it yourself. Yeah, and, and of course... That's the hardest thing, though, to be able to recognise when you're hearing something in your head. Yeah. And the, the resistance in you, the, that other self, the yeah. you know, inner critic on your shoulder is telling you all of these bad things um, to stop it from getting to your heart, to actually come up and recognise it, that other side of your brain. Yeah. You know, like almost have an argument inside your brain. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because you're fighting a, a lifelong behaviour, and like with me... I've been fighting a lifelong behaviour and language. Self-hatred was familiar to me. Beating myself up was familiar. You know, because what I've discovered happens is that um, we go through traumatic experiences as children and then out of those traumatic experiences, we develop beliefs, which I'm sure is going to fit in with the NLP. We develop a belief system about ourselves, about the world around us, about relationships, about people. From those beliefs, we behave in certain ways. And from those behaviors, we get certain outcomes. And when we get the outcomes, we go, oh, see, I knew I was unlovable. Mm -hmm. But actually, none of that is who we are. It's not who we are. They're just things that have happened, beliefs that have come from them, behaviors that have come from the beliefs and outcomes. And if we start to look at that and that starts to get stripped away, we can actually start to be our true authentic selves and who we're created to be. And I'm on that journey now and it's taking time. But, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have it any other way now. It's like that quote, um, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yes. Because obviously you're looking at things in a negative way. You're putting in those behaviours and you're getting that negative outcome. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Whereas if you change it from the core, yeah. then obviously your behaviours are different and the outcome's different. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's all about mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it is mindset. The brain is so powerful. I think it's so amazing that our brains have been made neuroplastic so we can change any, which you're going to know, we can change any um, habitual thinking, any neural pathways can be changed, but it takes effort and it takes work. I also think part of the healing process is when we start to put down the things that we've used to medicate pain. So for me, I used men to medicate pain. I used sex to medicate pain. I used alcohol to medicate pain. I used drugs to medicate pain, whatever it was. And it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. But gradually, gradually, food, lack of eating, all of that, gradually, gradually, as those things have been put down, it allows me to get in touch with the pain inside that I've been running from. And part of my healing process is sometimes I need to sit be still, feel the pain, because actually the truth is the pain's not going to kill me, but the behaviours could. But something in me feels like, oh, I can't bear this pain. I have to do anything to take this pain away. But part of that is allowing myself to feel the pain, allowing myself to grieve. And that's how it also releases from the body. And that's part of how trauma releases from the body as well. And then the change in the mindsets as well. It goes hand in hand. Yeah, 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 of course. So so initially, they talk about having a spiritual awakening in 12-step uh, programs. Um, and I had my first spiritual awakening um, about 18 years ago. Um, and that, for me, was with Jesus. And that started to open up my heart spiritually and open up my heart to the love of God, you know, actually open up my heart to love. But as I said before, I still had behaviours. And, you know, people would pray for me. And, and I think prayer is invaluable. And I'm sure all of that also helped me to move forward. I, I, I think I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll get a prayer. I'll queue up in this prayer line, which you get at sort of a lot of Christian conferences, and then somebody will pray for me and I'll be zapped and I won't do this behaviour anymore. And it was quite disheartening because I'd keep doing these behaviours. I couldn't understand why. And about seven years after um, deciding, you know, to want to follow Jesus, um, I um, had a bit of a rock bottom with my with the eating, with the bulimia. Um, 
And it led me to a counsellor who then recommended 12-step fellowship. And she said to me that she felt that 12-step fellowship would help me more than the counselling would. Um, so they're, they're really easy to find. I, I just want to make clear, I don't think 12-step fellowship has to be the way for everyone. I'm not a sort of, you know, it's this way or the highway, but it's the path that was put in front of me. So because it's the path that was put in front of me, it's the right path for me at the moment and has been for the last few years. Um, so um, they're very easy to find. You can just Google, like, whatever your issue is. So so I went initially to Overeaters Anonymous. They're all followed by Anonymous. Um, and then, as I said, the thing around men and relationships just blew up in my face. And that is the stuff. The, the stuff around the relationships and men and what is labelled sex and love addiction, it could be labelled a lot of different things, you know, childhood trauma, attachment stuff, you know, but um, that stuff is the stuff that made me want to end my life more than anything else. And so when that blew up, um, at the time I had a sponsor, which I'll explain what that is in Overeaters Anonymous, who said to me, I think you need to go to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous because if you don't address that stuff, it will take out everything else that you've done. You'll go back to drinking, taking drugs. You won't be able to get a handle on any of it if you don't address this. Um, so I went into a fellowship called Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. You can Google, you can look for it. Um, and they have meetings all over the UK. Um, meetings every day of the week, I think, with Sex and Love Addicts. Uh, whether or not they be every day of the week in your local area is a different matter. But there are a lot of meetings. There's online meetings, there's telephone meetings. And um, you don't have to pay. You know, it's a free service. The only, the only, the, the, the um, twelve-step program they call it fully self-supporting. So people who go to it, you know, a pot's passed around at the end, and you can stick in whatever it is you can afford. It might be a pound. It might be two quid. Whatever. Um, and that's how they they keep going. Um, so it's not like therapy in the sense that you've got to pay, you know, £40 a session, £50, £60 a session. On that note, though, there are um, Hillingdon Talking Therapies and they offer free counselling or counselling that people can afford just to say for people in the local area listening. Fantastic. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, so, um, yeah, so I went to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous and then um, there's like a process that you go through, the 12 steps. Um, it is a spiritual programme, but what they say is just you can come as you are. You know, you don't don't be put off by it's not about religion It's not about religion. You don't have to have a certain belief, but just, you know, just come. What What is suggested is come to six meetings and after six meetings, you you probably will get a feel of if it's for you or not. And if you feel it's for you. Uh, then you can, you know, pursue that path. And um, part of that is, uh, in some of them, you do something which is called getting a sponsor. So a sponsor is literally another person who's had the same issues, the same behaviours, and has um, already started working and looking at that stuff. So say, for example, if it was Alcoholics Anonymous, you might find someone to be your sponsor who has already stopped drinking and they've done a little bit of work on themselves and they sort of come alongside you and then they help you. And then the idea is it's like a chain reaction. And then you get to a place where you reach out your hand to someone else and help them. And but, 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 and, and it just goes on and on and on because um, that uh, there's a book called The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and in that they talk about how to stay well from these addictions. It is about helping others and there's nothing more powerful than one addict helping another. So, you know, if you've got two people that have had alcoholism, 
they'll relate to each other and one alcohol there's no one better to help another alcoholic than a, than a recovering alcoholic because they get it and there's no judgment and they just totally understand and they relate so you can have a sponsor um to help you work through stuff and then you go through a process of the 12 steps for me it's involved um a lot of written work and it's involved me trusting my sponsor to listen to that written work because it's very personal it's very vulnerable it's involved going to meetings i try to go to a couple of meetings a week but it's, you know, whatever you can do. Um, and I've tried to build up a bit of a support network. So there's people that I will speak to in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous that I can pick up the phone to when I'm having a struggle. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, uh, it's actually the place where I've gained all of my understanding around how I related to men and sexually and in relationships. Um, yeah. Yes, I was just saying in the break, remember. this is going to test my knowledge. <laughs> so the steps are, step one, we admit we're powerless over whatever addiction it might be. It might be alcohol, drugs, gambling, relationships, other people, sex, whatever it is. Um, we admitted we're powerless over that addiction, over our addictive behaviours, and that our lives have become unmanageable because addiction will do that. It will make your life unmanageable. Step two is... Um, that's the bit where some people may enter the room thinking, I need some help, or somebody has said to them, you need some help, go there. Yes. And they're like, am I one of these people? Do I really need help with this? Yes. Because they're still kind of not really conscious of what yes. they're doing. They've just got the behaviour, but aren't really sure that it, it's a problem for them. Absolutely, that's it. That's spot on. That is it. Um, and, and there's this thing called having a rock bottom, and everyone's rock bottom is different, you know. Uh, some people's rock bottom might be losing a family, a marriage, a home, sleeping on the streets. Another person's rock bottom might be losing their job and that's enough to wake them up. Another person's rock bottom might be, you know, the end of a relationship. Everyone's got different pain thresholds. Um, so, so, so there's this thing, but your rock bottom is that bit where you go, oh my gosh, what is, I can't do this anymore. What is wrong with me? But you're not necessarily sure that you've got a certain issue yeah and that's the bit it's like waking up and going this isn't working my life isn't working so that would be your step one mm-hmm. um step two was um we we come to believe um and i just want to say for any sort of uh, 12 step experts out there i might not be getting the wording of this totally right but um step two would be we come to believe that a power greater than us can restore us to sanity Um, That can be a stumbling block for some people because they might have had a religious damaging background that was controlling, abusive. It might be difficult for some people because they go, well, I don't believe in God. It's it's what is suggested is as you go to the meetings and you just hear people sharing their experiences and how this process has helped them take a bit of hope from that you don't have to have a certain I believe in this just just start to allow yourself to be open to the fact that something greater than you could help you in this you know and for some people they say that is the numbers in the room you know that many people who have gone through this journey are their power greater than themselves at this time you know and uh, it's, it's a process and you're at where you're at and but but please don't don't let that put you off because so many people get help through this path and they don't all have the same beliefs around you know spiritual things um, and it's been difficult for some people but they still are getting help you know um, step three would be um, we turn our lives and our will over to the power of the God of our understanding. Um, I think that's it, yeah. So we're turning our... Self, so it's kind of going, I can't... Do, in fact, I've heard it said... I surrender to this. Surrender, yeah. There might be the word surrender in it, but I can't remember. But step one, two and three, I've heard it said like this. I can't, he can, let him. So I can't, God can, let God. 
so you know or being open to that spiritual spiritual path step four is we make a searches and feel searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves so for me i mean i've been stuck on this i mean i've done it before but i've been stuck on this this time round for about a year and a half because you have to do the same steps then with each issue that you yeah doing. yeah yeah and I'm sure there is so some... It's like the layers again, isn't it? Like yeah. An eating disorder is, is one layer of the issues. And then yeah. once you deal with that, you've then got something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some people do it differently. Some people might tackle the substances all at once. And then, because sometimes you, you can only see the next layer when one layer's gone. Mm-hmm. So the substances aren't the issue. Actually, the relationships aren't the issue. They are, but they're symptoms. So as we start to deal with one layer at a time, we can finally get to the root. And the root for me was childhood trauma. It was being abused and traumatized and being frozen emotionally and never really developing and growing up. So, um, But I can only get to that when I start to put down the behavior that I've used to medicate that trauma and to help me survive in life. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, so step four would be, yeah, so for me, the step four is I'm making a list of all the resentments I've ever had, um, any harms I've ever done, any fears. But then you look at your your side of the street kind of thing. So, okay, yeah, I had this resentment, but what have my behaviors been consequently? Because the idea is this is supposed to be empowering and it's and it's to free us. So as long as I keep thinking it's about everyone else where they did this and they did that and they did this I'm going to remain stuck so this gives me an opportunity to start looking inward at myself and taking responsibility for my own behaviors but it's not about oh it's my fault that certain abuses happen or I'm to blame it's not about that but it is about I deserve to be free so I'm going to start looking at myself because that's going to empower me to get free do you want me to continue? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> step five would be we admitted our wrongs to God and to another human being. So for me, when I did that the first time, and I'll do that this time as well, is I, it took me 11 hours over a couple of days to read out what was called my step four, my inventory, all my resentments, all my fears, all my sexual harms, all, all of that. Um, and you share it with another person and they literally just listen. So what that's also doing, and obviously, you know, God is there listening. And what that's doing is um, it starts to break the shame down. Because you're trusting another human being with your darkest, deepest stuff and the skeletons in your closet and all the stuff that we try and hide and we try to put masks over. Um, And what happened for me when I did the the inventory the first time and read it out to someone is when I'd finished 11 hours later and we're both very tired, um, she said, I've done so much of what you've done. And that's that whole thing of, oh, my gosh, I'm not alone. You know, I'm not the most awful person on the planet. Other people have done this. Um, Step six would be... Oh, I think we I think something like um, I could look at it. Uh, We came uh, something about, oh, do you know what? Something about making a list of your character defects. I actually at the risk of being shot down by some 12 step people. I don't like the label character defects. I actually see them as survival mechanisms and coping behaviors. So you start to look at those. And in step seven, Um, you ask and you become willing to have them removed and in step seven you actually do open the door to to God to say I want these removed Um, sometimes these behaviors can be removed instantly but for me what tends to happen is um, say for example one of my survival behaviors in life has been to uh, be dishonest and people please you know, please, I'll just do anything. Just please don't leave me. Please love me. Which has meant I can't, I haven't been able to be my authentic self because it's always about just anything that will make you happy so you'll love me. That thing again of looking for something outside of me to fix what's in me. 
Um, so say if I listed that as a coping mechanism or a survival behaviour, what's happened for me is I'll then be faced with a situation where I can go one way or the other. I can go into the old behaviour of I'm going to... aware of it. So yeah, you have to take the action. Yeah, or I can choose a new path. And what happens for me is when I choose the new path, so say if I'm in a situation and I say no to something, that inner child in me that's been wounded and traumatized will start kicking off a bit and they'll and that inner child will be going, Oh my gosh, they're gonna leave me, they're gonna leave me. Please no, just do what they want, just do what they want. And it's and, and many times I haven't and I've given in, but in those moments where I manage to sit with the discomfort, sit with the scary feelings, they do pass and then you get a bit of growth. And it's no different to going to the gym and trying to up your weights and it really, really hurting and going, just push through, push through, push through. And then when you do, you get that little bit more growth. So it's that, you know, it's, it's parallel. Um, step A is we made, we make a list of everyone that we've harmed and we become willing to make amends to them. Uh, and, and generally a sponsor will help you do this. And step nine, we actually go and make amends to people unless if we do it, it would harm them or cause injury to them. So, you know, there are some cases where it will do more harm than good to go and sort of, you know, make an amends to someone. Mm -hmm. Step 10 is we um, continue on a daily basis. We daily do a daily inventory. So that's a bit like taking your rubbish out of your house every day. It, it, it just keeps things, you know, it stops it becoming overwhelming. So if I get any resentments during the day, you know, I can write them down that day. I can share them with someone. I can pray about them rather than letting the rubbish build up. And then in six months time going, oh, gosh, my house is a mess again. And now it's a big project again, which is what I've done. I've gone back to do the 12 step process and I've just got another few years of garbage that I'm now dealing with. Um, step 11 is we develop a conscious contact with God through prayer and meditation, asking and this is the big one asking only for knowledge of god's will and the power to carry that out so that's really where it's like okay it's not my will anymore because because i've been running on self-will all my behaviors are self-will you know run riot but now it's that word that you use surrender okay god what's your will for me today and show it to me and then help me to do that to walk in that and i don't do that perfectly by you know not at all um and then step so if you don't believe in god or, or religion could this be the, the higher power? Yes. The higher self? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so by the time you get there, people have developed something that works for them. You know, so, so it's whatever. And I see people, you know, I see people doing it. I see people working through this process. And with, like I said, with different beliefs, they don't necessarily have that. I believe in God or I believe in this or this or this, but it's still working for them. The principles still work. And what I found is my God is love. And he's so kind and so merciful that wherever you're at is where you're going to be met and where you're going to be helped. Um, and then step 12 is having had a spiritual awakening, we carry this message to others. So that's where it's helping others. Although you can be sponsoring people anyway along the process, but it is about carrying the message to others and sharing your hope with them. How do you know that it's time to move on to the next step? Do you mean from step one, two, three? Mm -hmm. Um I think it's a process you'll take the way um, the way I've been taken through it is quite structured so I literally had written questions that I had to answer and so you answer certain questions and you've done step one you answer certain questions you've done step two is that just two. the way of your sponsor so each sponsor will have their own way yeah or sometimes it's like each little group like Gamblers Anonymous might have their own way Alcoholics Anonymous or it might be different ways within that group and I would say, because one of the ways I procrastinated, because I also had resistance to dealing with this stuff, because it's actually quite scary to let go of behaviours that have helped you to keep your head above water and survive. Yeah. And it's learning to trust in that process that, oh my gosh, 
I'm not going to die. I'm going to be okay if I let go of this behavior. Um, so I had a lot of resistance to doing it, which meant I procrastinated quite a lot. And one of the ways I did that was, oh, is this the right way to do it? Or should I do it that way or that way or that way or that way? I think whatever way presents itself to you, just go with it, you know, and, and you will just be guided. That was a good tricky one. <laughs> Sorry? That was a good tricky one on your resistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said, There's too many ways of doing it. I better just do none. I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, again, it's like, you know the gym oh should I do weights yeah. should I do a pump class should I do spin should I do this oh I just so won't do anything <laughs> yeah. just do something yeah yeah <laughs> if it was the wrong thing you'll know and tomorrow you do the next one yeah exactly and sometimes even a step that might have not been the right way will lead you to another step that yeah. will be the right way so there is no failure yeah exactly exactly yeah so that's step 12 so what happens um so you're doing the steps during the meetings or you're doing them at home you do work at home, really. I mean, in the meetings, you'll hear people sharing their stories um, and you'll, you'll have readings, so you'll be hearing stuff about the 12-step process. Um, but then generally, well, for me, I then have to do that work, you know, on, at home and then I would share it with people or with my sponsor. Mm -hmm. So just saying, like, you've got, like, a daily practice of clearing out the garbage. Yeah. What would that entail for you? Like a lot of motivational speakers talk about having like um, a morning ritual or yeah. a nighttime ritual, things like that that you do daily. What kind of things do you do daily to keep your, your house clear? Okay, so so the kind of daily inventory I actually don't do, <laughs> but that is what I'm aiming for to be able to do that at the moment because I'm doing my big inventory. I'm on step four. Um, but if, if people were doing that, sometimes they call it like having a spot check. So somebody might cut me up on the road and I'll be like, ah, and get really resentful. And I could carry that resentment throughout my day, which actually harms me. It's not going to harm the person that's just cut me up and driven off. Um, so sometimes it could literally just be on the spot. Okay, I'm feeling resentful towards that person. It's like you just work through it in your head. Um, you know, why am I feeling resentful? Okay, what are my behaviors that are coming out? You know, what's the truth about this situation? The truth could be, it's just one of those things. It's life. You know, it's not personal. And, it, you know, so you just quickly work through it. It could be at the end of a day, literally writing that down. And then it could be you just, that's enough for you. It could be that you then want to speak to your sponsor and share it. It could be that you just say it in prayer. You know, oh, I was really resentful at this person today. Blah, blah, blah. That, that could be it. Some of the spiritual practices that I do is um, pray. I try to pray daily. Um, I try to read something that's around recovery or spirituality. Um, sometimes I write in a journal because it's really quite cathartic to get stuff out and get it down on paper. Um, I speak to people who are in recovery. So I, I, I try to make a practice of staying honest with what's going on in my life. Even if I'm, my behaviours aren't great, I think it gives me a chance if I'm at least being honest and not doing it in the dark, bring it into the light. And I've learned there are people that I can trust to do that. Then you have choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and also um, meditation is a daily practice. What happens when you're aware of something, you have the choice, you still do the behaviour? It's really painful because that has been my experience. Because you have to forgive yourself, I imagine, otherwise you don't move on because then you'll just do another behaviour. That is so, so, like, that's just spot on and that's exactly where I've been at recently. Um, I feel like I've woken up, like, been unplugged from so the matrix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've still done it, but I know now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, that phrase, ignorance is bliss, mm. oh, my gosh, do I get that. Sometimes I've been like, please, just put me back to sleep. Plug me back into the matrix because... Life would be 
Oh gosh, this is too painful because once I've had the awareness about the behaviour, but I still can't stop doing it. It is agony. But I've just had to go through that process sometimes. And what you've said is exactly it. I think for me, sometimes I'm not going to be able to move on from that process until or that behaviour until I've learned to love myself whilst I'm doing it. To accept, okay, this is a behaviour I'm doing right now and I'm doing it. It's understandable because I want love or because I've been hurt or because... And then just literally affirm, and I know it can sound so cheesy and cliche, but literally affirm to myself, Natasha, I love you right now whilst you're doing that behavior and I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to abuse you any longer whilst you're doing that. And, um, and that can help to break the cycle. It really is all about love. It's about receiving love, mm. God's love and self-love. It's really interesting. That's something that I've had and people ha- I have spoken to about this on Facebook and on the radio about my exercise addiction. Yeah. And I actually had that because I hated my body image so much. It was like, you're a disgusting person, therefore you have to do this exercise, really hurt yourself in the gym because I hate you. And it was all negative, negative, negative. Yeah. And there was about one day where I went into the gym and just cried my eyes out and felt like I can't do this. But that was it was literally a day where it was a changeover of, I can't hate myself doing this anymore. I need to love myself. I need to move my body because it feels good and I feel alive yeah. and I feel empowered doing it and I'm, I'm not doing it for any particular reason. I'm not trying to change my aesthetics because I'm good as I am. So that was a really... Like it ha- that one emotional process happened in a day, but it happened over a long period of time to go from that negative to that positive. Exactly, exactly. And so what helped you to break free of those behaviours was that moment of acceptance. It was self-acceptance. There's also that fear, though, that if I don't do it through hate, I'm going to lose motivation and I won't do it at all. Yeah. Because if I love myself, I'm like, oh, I'm good as I am. I don't need to do anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I totally get it. And I know for me, that's because I was taught that. I was taught that kind of punishing driven kind of way and and very masculine energy yeah 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 and that kind of well you did that but actually you didn't do that and that's not good enough Mm -hmm. so again it's like all my life I've spoken English and now I'm trying to learn to speak Chinese and that's not going to happen overnight (laughs) you know but I do think love love you know is is the way let's talk more about self-love when we come back after this break this is the local news 91.8 91.8 Hayes FM. That was our local news and our what's on. We're back in the studio live on Facebook, live on radio with Natasha. She's been sharing her journey um, and we've been talking about the 12 steps process. Um, but just there before the break, we were talking about self-love. So <laughs> Natasha would like to... <laughs> um, so I think if, if you're feeling like that, actually, if you're feeling like, I want to turn this off now because we're talking about self-love, maybe you actually need to hear it. Maybe that's your resistance and it's something that you need to do. Yeah. So how can we do that? I was talking before the break there about um, my own journey and how I used to use the gym in a negative way to almost self-hate and I had to change it around to self-love and now I exercise because it feels good for my body and I like to move and I like to feel alive Mm -hmm. Um, and it gives me good endorphins so I feel happy for hours afterwards. Um, What about you, Natasha? What what is self-love to you and what can you enlighten us with? Well, I did that little... um, (laughs) sound because that's how I felt about self-love like just drop me out I'm just just there has to be another way than self-love and um there just isn't (laughs) there just isn't I've kicked and screamed against it but I I actually think that um a really important starting point is what we've been talking about in the break and about um accepting where you're at accepting where you're at and um 
I mean, that can feel impossible for some people. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know, like if, if I've got a behaviour where I keep compulsively spending money and, and shopping and I know it's just feeding this need in me to I'm trying to medicate a pain rather than going, oh, gosh, I've done it again. And you know what? I need to hear this right now because I'm a master at self Um, punishment and berating and you know I would never speak to a friend the way I speak to myself or have spoken to myself I would show that friend compassion it's okay it's all right babe you know it's just it's not going to last you'll you'll get through this this behavior will change so I think it's having that acceptance okay this is what I'm doing right now and affirming that I'm still a lovable person with this behavior Um, for me part of that is having some people I can talk to who will reflect that to me and not really um, surrounding myself with people who won't and who will perpetuate the sort of the, um, the punishment because there are some people you could be around because they're, they're sort of unconscious and it's probably how they treat themselves so that when you share some of your failings and shortcomings with them, they'll judge you the way they judge themselves. So that's not helpful to me. I need to be around people that have learned some of that self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think for me, you know, this is such a great, I feel like an embryo in this self-love stuff. I feel like I'm really just waking up and and growing and and getting some awareness around this. Um, But for me as well, so loving myself in the middle of the, in the midst of the behavior, affirming myself in the midst of it, also learning that the behaviors that I've done have been to survive But some of my behaviors have um, meant that I've carried on abusing myself and getting to a point where I realize that and starting to want to not abuse myself because it's like that fake it till you make it thing, starting to tell myself I am worth something more than this. I deserve something better and more than this. Yes, I've been abused. Yes, things have happened to me. They're not who I am. They don't define who I am. I'm a child of God and I'm Natasha. That's who I am. That's my identity. Um, but they have been things that have happened to me, but I have then almost taken the baton and gone, oh, I'll run with this now for the rest of my life. I'll carry on what, the, you know, what you started. Um, so it's come into a place where I realize that actually, no, I don't want to abuse myself anymore. Being kind to myself, trying to treat myself. I mean, honestly, I feel like we need a bucket even as I'm saying this, um, but trying to treat myself like I'm my own best friend. And it's not going to be perfect, and the self hatred is going to come up, but then I not beat myself. Just to butt in for a second about yeah. the, let's get the bucket, because I do that as well, and I've had other people do that to me, and I think it's just a way of having people not judge us, because you think oh, I'm going to say something that's romantic now, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and then someone's going to puke because you're thinking they're going to judge you for that. Well, actually, that's your true self. That's how you want to express yourself. Or if it's saying something that's motivational and positive, somebody else may see that as cheese. But it's just another way of saying it. But actually, because you know they're not in that place now to accept this loving kindness positive mindset way of being do you know what i'm saying i do you just called me out on that but thank you because <laughs> i've done it myself i want to say something now it's motivational and positive maybe yeah. i wasn't like that before but that's who i am today yeah and that's what i want to say to you and so that you don't judge me i'm going to say what i'm about to say is cheese so then i say it that is brilliant <laughs> oh my gosh called out live on air <laughs> I'm going to, okay, yeah, I'm going to take that. Yeah, 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 you're right. It wasn't really at you. It was more of no. like, you just reminded me of something that I do, so that's that's. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, but it was spot on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, so self-love. <laughs> no bucket, no bucket. Um, 
Yeah, so the so um being being trying to be my own best friend. As I say this, I'm really aware that I don't do this. Like when I say I'm an embryo in this, I'm starting to wake up and come alive to it and I'm starting to try to practice it. But as I said, it is a process. I've spent many years doing the very opposite and literally kicking myself in the head repeatedly. Um so I would say that's that that kind of stuff is is self-loving, you know, accepting, uh, affirming myself, being my own best friend, not not doing that sort of critical punishing voice in my head every time I'm human. Um, that so it would be some of that, um, and then I think again trying to treat myself if I, when I have a child, as I would want to parent that child, try to treat myself that way. So. Um, trying to feed myself with loving nurturing food not about being skinny not about being this not about being that but but food that is loving and nurturing food that I would want to give my child try and do that for myself try and get into a decent sleeping pattern for me um which is I struggle with it massively you know um uh doing some exercise but something that I enjoy um, and, and even recently, you know, going into the gym and I started doing some weight training again and I'm enjoying it. But sometimes I have to check my motives. You know, I used to go into the gym to punish myself because it was like, I'm not good enough and I need to be like this. But now I want to go into the gym because I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. This is the only body I'm going to get whilst I'm on this earth. So and I'm worth looking after. And that's what I want to do. So so there's the physical things um, and then, you know, like the emotional mental processes mm -hmm. I definitely relate to that I would love to teach a class just for people with that um, mindset <laughs> yeah 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 I think that sounds brilliant again, do it's it it's a journey isn't it I guess yeah. it's almost like 12 steps people come in for a certain thing they find other things when they're there and they can learn and grow yeah and maybe become those people at the end yeah absolutely so do you have any tips for us on loving ourselves more becoming aware of the negative thoughts um, I think probably the stuff I've said, like about, you know, the acceptance and just don't beat yourself up. You know, it, I think today, and it's probably because of where I'm at right now in my journey. And this has been sort of being, this is, this, I can't, I can't put my words together now. Um, it's been revealed to me this week. That's what's been coming to me accept this is what you're doing right now and love yourself whilst you're doing it stop rejecting yourself stop giving yourself a hard time for doing this and actually I think that's what I'd want to say to anyone who's listening um if there is something that you're doing right now and you feel it's like you're in the darkness with it or that it's destructive even if you're being abusive to someone else right I'm not advocate advocating that but I've been abusive in relationships very abusive but of course I was going to be because I was abusing myself so how on earth could I treat anyone else any better whatever it is you're doing that you feel is a behavior that you're struggling with that you want to stop that people judge you for that you judge you for I am begging you right now to try 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 to put your arms around yourself and just say to yourself it's okay it's okay I love you anyway and we're going to get through this just try and be brave and open the door to love in your life because you really deserve it and you're really worth it and you don't deserve the tirade of abuse and self-hatred and hatred that you've been experiencing. That was amazing. I feel like somebody may be listening to that at home and just need to hear that right yeah. now. Um, so you're going to start writing a blog. What type of things are you going to be writing about and who do you want to help with that? 
So um, I kind of see that it was probably going to be aimed at women. Um, I don't have a problem with men. Well, I have had a problem with men, which is why I go to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. <laughs> but uh, nothing against you guys. But I, I think that my writing will probably be, uh, my, you know, the audience will be more directed towards women. Um, and I'm going to be writing about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try to be really honest and really vulnerable about my experiences, my journey, when I get little gems and things that help me to share them. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot about trauma, about addiction. There might be stuff about post-traumatic stress disorder which I've suffered with um so it's going to be that kind of that kind of stuff that I'm going to be writing about and uh you know just to admit live because this will be good for me is I'm really scared to do that because I know I'm completely opening myself up and um for someone who's come from a background of desperately wanting people to approve them to allow myself to be completely honest completely open completely vulnerable and accept that some people will relate I might get shot down by some there'll be some people that might hear things about me that I wouldn't necessarily want them to know because I'd want to hide my dark um so it's 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 very brave I felt really uncomfortable to say that just now but I'm being very brave um it does feel scary but that is what I'm going to do because and the reason I want to do it is I feel inspired by God to do it um and my hope is if there's anyone out there even if it was one person because that one person is precious and valuable enough to you know it would all be worth it for the one person whoever you are you are precious you are valuable and you are worth it and if there's one person out there that relates to some of my experiences and what I've been through and can just get identification feel that they're not alone and to be able to let you know that there is hope that there is healing that it is possible and just to encourage you to never ever ever give up because you're worth it and there's a better life waiting for you that's why I want to start blogging and writing well, it starts today because you've done exactly that on air, live on Facebook, and you have been really brave and you've, you've shared your story amazingly well, very articulate. Thank you. So if anyone's got any questions, uh, we are still live on Facebook on Nicola Weishi Chan Facebook page. Um, you can also um, write your questions in, comment in, and we can also reply to them later because Natasha's going to get online. <laughs> I am. She's going to be getting back on Facebook. Will you be sharing your blogs online as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm I'm um I'm not great with this sort of technical stuff. I've kept myself fairly invisible on social media. Um and that's been out of fear, of not wanting to be seen, not wanting to be exposed, not wanting to be shot down, judged, criticized. Um you know, having difficulty with even things like the, you know, the pictures, you know, everything's filtered now and oh gosh, I don't want that picture up and that picture up. And um, so now again, another brave step is I'm going to get more of a, a presence on social media. So I have been, I'm going to get my Facebook up and running. I do have a Facebook. I just never use it and don't even know the password and hopefully going to use that as a platform, whether or not I'll then, hopefully that will direct people to a blog um, which I'm going to start up. I ha- it has been suggested to me that I need to start an Instagram account as well, which literally does make me want to throw up. But I am open and willing to do that. So yeah, ho- hopefully I'll How be more do visible. Do you use social media at all now, though? No, um, I use WhatsApp. <laughs> oh, which I think is a good thing. Well, you're communicating with people, which is a good yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Um, because I feel like it's it's a little bit dangerous because once you're on there, you, you're either putting out or you're taking in. Mm. So I have to put up barriers almost to, to not go on there to take stuff in because like you're saying about being enough on the inside and not searching for something like today I'm searching for a like, you know, or I'm searching for this or that or whatever. All of this external stimulus to top me up on the inside or maybe I'm even bored and I'm just filling up my time 
time with that, but it, what's the boredom? For me, everything comes down to boredom because yeah. then if you, it's that meditative state of doing nothing and being okay with nothingness where you feel yourself, all of your emotions, whatever trauma, whatever you've got coming up, you're, you're within that and you're just holding that space mm -hmm. rather than putting something in the way. The, the resistance is bored. You're bored. You must do something. You're bored. You must eat, fill up that hole. You're bored. You must do this and all of these different behaviors. So if we could just sit with ourselves, which is why on, on social media, I try to, sometimes I'm inspired or if I can't sleep, <laughs> I might wake up, but I've got an idea. So I'm like, right, I'm going to blog that and I'll put it in my group. So I'm just outwardly posting, which is why people say, oh, do have you seen this or that? Because you've been posting stuff. And I'm like, well, sorry, I've actually just been posting because that's, it's like my way of journaling as well. I'll just journal it. I'll put it out there. Hopefully it will help somebody. If it doesn't, whatever, I've still helped myself and I try not to take anything else in. That's brilliant. I think that's really, really brilliant advice to people as well. Yeah. And that boredom thing, that boredom thing is quite a common thing for addicts, you know, because uh, there's, there's, a, there's a part of me, there's been a large part of me that's been completely addicted to drama. And yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. And just, you know, and if things are just sort of ticking along, I, it's like yeah, I can start to get a bit next? twitchy. Like, mm, yeah. yeah, I need something to give me a hit, to give yeah. me a... Because you're used to the drama as well. It becomes a habit, doesn't it? It's familiar, absolutely. So, But I think that's brilliant to go on there to, to, to put out rather than, you know, taking things in that aren't going to be good for you. Um, and also what you said about you can put posts out there and even if it helps no one, it's helped you. Um, I actually think being creative that, that way, and I know for me writing, I thought that I had to wait until I was perfectly done, you know, until fixed. I could start, yet yeah, fixed, <laughs> until I could start putting myself out there and sharing things. But now what I've realised is that writing and putting things out there and posting is part of my healing process as well. That's what I do. I feel like the unfixed version of me, the unedited, yeah. is the best me because that's yeah. where I am today. Yes. And I used to have that as well. Like once I'm there, then I'll do that. And also, um, I think one of my coaches, maybe Callum, said to me that you can always coach someone who's just on that path behind you. So you don't have to be perfect, made it yet fixed. You know, just so long as you're that little bit further on the journey, you can help anybody along the way. And I guess that's like your steps thing where you're saying about holding the hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's how it is with a sponsor. It's not about a hierarchy. It's not about, oh, I'm the sponsor and I'm God. No, I'm human. I could mess up in the next minute just like anyone else could. But I've just started the journey a little bit before you. So let me help you with what I know. Mm -hmm. And then you can help others and... Amazing. <laughs> on that note, we have another break. This is a short one. So hang in there, guys, on Facebook and on Hayes FM. We'll be right back. Hello, welcome back to 91.8 Hayes FM. This is the Way She Radio Show. That was loud water. <laughs> the microphones sound really crisp all of a sudden. Um, yeah, so we're back on air. We're back on Facebook Live. Not that we ever left Facebook Live. Um, talking to Natasha about addiction, 12-step process, um, childhood trauma and actually I was sharing with Natasha before she came in about a lady who I first went to a speech by uh, which first got me into the whole public speaking thing and, and I felt that I wanted to start doing that myself and I felt she was incredibly brave and her name is Chris Tuck I follow her on Facebook and um, she wrote a book called Through the Eyes of the Child and I was just sharing that with Natasha earlier because um, her story was amazing and the way she shared it I just it's the first time I ever heard anyone speak publicly about trauma and not be like literally crying their eyes out. And I just thought, how brave. And I did have some limiting beliefs at the time about crying. And I used to think that you were weak if you cried, which was another process I had to go through. And I did some public speaking. Some people on Facebook will know Bevis, who I, um, I did a course with, a public speaking course. He's also my master practitioner um, course leader. 
and he said to me that because I cried again <laughs> during my public speaking on the course and he was saying that your emotions are actually your power and that's what makes your story unique to you and people relate to it they can feel that um, the emotions from you and that it's your raw authentic self like you were saying about um, blogging being your raw authentic self and not having to be perfect just be who you are as you are today absolutely absolutely and I just wanted to cheer you when you said that 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 thing changed where you started to allow yourself to cry I just wanted to cheer you on because I know that that is healing and that's a that's a great place to be I have a sponsor in sex and love it's anonymous that I could call up sobbing like you know on the phone and she'll go brilliant brilliant this is great I'd be okay with that. It was just the the whole public speaking. I thought, well, I've never seen someone on TED Talks crying their eyes out. But mm. then actually, since I've started watching a lot of speeches, and that's one of my daily practices, is watching um, like motivational speakers. And one of them is Mel Robbins, who wrote The Five Second Rule, which is um, another really good thing to do, to be able to wake yourself up within five seconds, make a decision within five seconds, and just take an action, basically. Um, but in her speech that she does, I think it's with... Oh, I can't remember the name, but um, we can add it onto the thing later on. Um, but anyway, she there's a little bit in it where she talks and she has some emotion coming up. And I was like, oh, an amazing speaker. And she's talking with emotion. And actually, Brenny Brown does it. There's quite a lot of speakers that do. So just because I'd seen some and then had this vision of great speakers, they don't show any emotion. You know, it, it's not the case. So yeah. It's just be you. And if you are someone who speaks with emotion, then do that. I think there is something so powerful about people being real and allowing themselves to be vulnerable and exposed. And I know um, that when I've heard people talking, the ones that have impacted me the most are the ones that would be completely, this is me, like the, what you're seeing is real right now. And they're the people. And, and to be honest, the ones that I've listened to who are a bit more walled up or masked or not doing that, it doesn't touch me, doesn't help me. So, Yeah. And actually, as we were talking about social media, that's one of the things about social media because there's so many people now that you could watch and you can listen to motivational stuff or healing or addiction advice, whatever it is, because there's so many, you don't know who's real. You know, there could be someone who seems in a position of power and then you're like, well, they're just trying to sell me something. Mm -hmm. They're not being the real person. So it's hard to know. That's where, um, I think that's where as well we've got to learn to trust our guts because um, the childhood I had taught me to always ignore your, your gut, your, your instincts. And what I've learned now is that that is the, the, the higher brain. That is the brain I need to listen to. So uh, sometimes that being still and just breathing and feeling what you feel inside and going with that, yeah. Which sometimes means doing the thing that's really scary, isn't it? Yes, yeah. <laughs> like coming in to do this interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do find, though, there is a line, and you have to... Um, it's kind of difficult sometimes to know whether this line is your resistance, and it's a res good resistance that you need to push through, or whether it's that resistance of, this is my gut, this is a bad thing. Yeah, uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? That They're, like, yeah. parallel. Which one is which? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe sometimes all we can do is do our best to go with what we believe is our gut, and then, you know, if we make mistakes, we'll learn from them. And then, you yeah. know, because we're, we're not going to do it perfectly. Isn't that what we were just talking about before perfectionism? Yeah. We're just not going to do it perfectly. It's like babies learning to walk, isn't it? And they stumble and they fall and then they get a few steps in. And 
Yeah, and that's us. Trying. Yeah, just keep going. Keep yeah, so going. I just highlighted what my resistance does now. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> it gave me a question to be like, decide, is it that or is it that? And while I'm deciding, I'm not doing anything. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we have one more break. Oh, actually, there's two more breaks. So this is our last long break. This is the local news and the what's on. For those of you that are on Hayes FM, please stay with us. We'll be right back. We have two fears. We've got the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. So every other fear thereafter, you learned. And if you learnt it, you can unlearn it. And NLP, the process of, of um, NLP, some of the tools, are to basically um, change your... Your brain's like a computer. So these are the, the little boxes. This is how I see it as like the folders of programming that you've got. And some of those are fears. So if you, you've programmed them, you can unprogram them. And it's just a case of um, using those tools to unprogram that fear of of spiders or whatever it is um there was a guy i don't know if he's still online now sean um he was on my course and he was scared of snakes like so scared of snakes he couldn't say the word snakes and he was like you're not going to be able to help me because i can't even say what my fear is and in the room looking around i was like well i need to work with you then because if i work with him and i help him then i can help anyone mm -hmm. and it was amazing i think it was about 20 minutes actually we went through the process um to get over his fear of snakes and on our lunch break because it was in his local area he knew a, a, like a reptile center we went there on the lunch break and he held a snake wow that is amazing so obviously some of the things you're saying in terms of going through process of change with mindset a mm. lot of things are habitual um oh no my phone's died oh <laughs> so we, we have no video i hope it saves do you know anything about that I'm not very good with stuff like that. Oh dear. So for the people on air, um, <laughs> just to explain, we're no longer on video, but we're still on air, so we can always take this recording and put it as a podcast, which I normally do. Um, as I was saying, so with fear, um, yeah, his fear of snakes. We got rid of that fear within 20 minutes and he held a snake, which was really powerful for me to see and allowed me to know that if I can help him, I can have help. And so we did the same thing with me with spiders. So I can now, I don't want to hold one, I could do, and I could go through another process. I don't think I found my very earliest memory of spiders. Are you looking up there? Because no. <laughs> <laughs> I can now put one in a glass and then put it out. Oh. And that's massive. Before, if there was a spider in the room, I couldn't go in the room. That is amazing because I've been talking to someone recently about fear of spiders. And I was saying I needed to make a confession, which is that I have killed spiders. And that's because I've been scared. too yeah. terrified. Too so what are some of those steps then to overcome that? Um, it's about locating that very first memory. So we, as, as I said before about the filters that we see the world, we have ways in which we experience our memories and they are through our, um, our senses. For example, sight. So how, how you see that memory. Do you see it in black and white or colour? Um, how you're experiencing the auditory. Did you even hear anything? Were there sounds? Was someone screaming? You know, in that particular memory. Were there any feelings? The feeling of fear. The feeling of my heart's beating faster. You know, um, all of those different sensory things. So basically, it's like you mess those up of that particular memory. You don't lose the memory, um, but then you no longer have the emotional attachment to it. So you don't lose any of your memories along the way. And we do this with other processes as well. Um, for example, timeline therapy. We can go back and um, help people with anger, sadness, fear, hurt and guilt. And each of those has a memory attached to them. You remain with your memories, obviously, but you go back and you take away the emotion that's attached to it. Because these things are all in the past. It's, it's on your timeline. You know, when you think back to having breakfast this morning, you're already zooming into the past, so you're yeah. accessing your timeline of the past. Yeah. We have ones of the future. We're imagining what I'm going to do later on. I'm going to, my to-do list, you know, my shopping list, whatever it is I'm going to do later. You imagine it, you're zooming into your future, and this is your timeline. 
Right, so okay. So just taking away the emotions from the past because today, the here and now you're sitting here in this room, something that happened to you back then in the past is not happening to you right now. So it's not serving you to have all those emotions and feelings about that particular thing. So how would you remove the emotions then? It's, it's the process of timeline therapy. It, it can take a while. It's one of the longest um, in the things that I've been taught in the master practitioner course. Um, but it does talk. It's like talking to the subconscious mind. So it is a sitting down talking therapy. Your eyes are closed. You're imagining things from the past, um, but in a safe environment. So yeah. you don't have to go in and feel all those emotions. You can actually just look down at yourself. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, it sounds a bit like what I was taught in recovery from post-traumatic stress disorder. Because okay. what can happen with that is, um, say you've gone through a traumatic experience. So for me, one of those was sexual abuse. And um, and at the time, I just went into, you know, you can do fight, flight, freeze. I went yeah. into freeze. Um, and so then that trauma gets stored in a part of my brain, which means that um, in my adult life, my brain, we've got a part of our brain that's like the smoke alarm, which you probably learnt the amygdala or whatever you call it. Yeah. And um, that smoke alarm is is always sort of detecting, picking up anything that reminds it of that original trauma. And, and it, um, it, it goes off, like the smoke alarm goes off. It will pick things up in the environment that um, remind it of that trauma. But actually what's going on isn't dangerous, but the brain yeah. isn't registering it and thinks it is. And one of the things I was talking... So it's a bit like... You know, the smoke alarm keeps going off because you burnt your toast thinking the house is burning down, but it's not. It's just that you burnt, you know, you've got some burnt oh. toast. And uh, and one of the things I was, sorry, yeah. And one of the things I was taught was um, to talk to yourself in that and just say, it's not happening right now. This, this feeling is to do with the past and actually right now I'm safe. Mm, it's interesting because a lot of like anxiety and panic attacks can happen um, like post-traumatically, can't they, because of a trauma from the past. Yeah. But anxiety is actually a projection of the future. Yeah. So like depression is from the past. It's being sad about something that's happened. And anxiety is, I'm worried something's about to happen in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why um, meditation, I mean, I want to increase this in my daily, you know, even if it's five minutes, just sitting and focusing on my breathing. Um, it brings you into the now. Into the present. Exactly. And, you know, if you think about some children that I can watch, they're so present in what they're doing. But in my upbringing, I couldn't really, for the most part, I couldn't really be present because I was very on edge and never sure what was going to kick off. And I was strategizing how I was going to stay safe. And I've carried that into my adult life. So I have to practice being fully yeah. present. I think as well, maybe if uh, when you experience trauma, another coping mechanism is to detach yourself from your body. So you're not even aware of your body, which is another thing that can happen to people when they have eating disorders and body image issues later on because they're not even attached to their body to know, like, for example, I'm hungry now. How, what does that feel like? So used to um, following like a plan. So the plan says I should eat now. You know, my body doesn't feel that. So I don't know how it feels to need to eat now or to know that that's enough food and so on yeah absolutely and and that's what uh, addiction is about a lot as well yeah it's dissociating separating ourselves from that trauma or from our bodies on that note we have our last break so bear with us haze fm we'll be right back so that was your local news and the last ad of the day we're here still till three o'clock so if you have any questions you can't contact us on facebook you're going to have to put your comments on Facebook and we'll get back to you later on. Hopefully that video is saved because if you've been listening, um, we were doing a Facebook Live at the same time throughout the whole show. We're here one till three and we had loads of people watching, comments coming in and everything and then my phone just died. <laughs> so I don't know if um, that's going to save or not, but 
We will, as always, take the audio from this show and make a podcast out of it, so you will be able to listen again. So if you've just joined recently and you're thinking that this is an amazing story, because it is, and you'd like to listen to it from the top, um, you can do so. I will share it all over Facebook. So Nicola Chan, Nicola Weishi Chan Facebook page. Also the radio page, which is Weishi Radio. That's W-A-I-S-H-E-E Radio. So we were talking um, before the break there about fears and NLP, how NLP can help you change the programming. Um, and I'm not sure, did you share with us on air, was that in the break about post-traumatic stress? And I think it was on air. Yeah. I was wondering actually if, because you obviously you're very aware, you seem very healed in many ways with a lot of the things that you've gone through already to get to this process to be able to even speak about it. Um, and I was wondering if you'd done all of that through 12 Steps or if you had other counselling and coaching and things as well. Yeah, no, it's not just been 12 Steps. Um, I had, um, for a while, for about 18 months, I went to um, a day treatment centre and it was for people with addictions. But those addictions um, could be substance, um, alcohol, drugs, food, or they could be relational, sex, you know, uh, pornography. Um, and I went to group therapy a couple of times a week for about, um, 15 to 18 months I can't remember so I did that um, and I also had some one-to-one therapy with a therapist who was fantastic um, because she was so um, she was so real and human because uh, the, the issue I had with some therapy is feeling like I was talking to like a wooden plank or a, a textbook person and it, it just didn't work for me and she was very real um, it depends on the type of therapy, doesn't it? Because some are just talking therapies. It's for you to talk and have someone to yeah. talk to and have someone listen. Yeah. And others, it's there's a process like CBT, um, cognitive behavioural therapy. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And they're all different. And for me at that time, I, I needed someone who was going to be a bit more interactive with me. And also it, she was like she did a bit of educational therapy. So she was the one that taught me about, you know, the smoke alarm in the brain and about talking to yourself and reminding yourself this mm-hmm. this is not happening now. This is from the past. You're safe now because um, it's about trying to process whether trauma has been frozen and trapped in that smoke alarm part of the brain or in that part of the brain where it's just frozen. It's just like a, a loop, a tape that keeps going round and round you uh, the idea is part of the process is to get it into another part of your brain where it's filed away like you said as a memory but you're not constantly reliving it and that is a process it's a process of feeling grieving um and you know assuring yourself talking to yourself this is not happening now I'm safe now so I did that I did the one-to-one therapy I did the group therapy I've done 12 step and I've had you know my own spiritual walk um I believe in Jesus as I said sometimes I'm hesitant to say that because I just want people to know that I'm it's not about religion religion does not heal religion kills but love heals and that's what I'm experiencing with Jesus so I've got my own spiritual walk and relationship Um, I do go to a church but it's somewhere that I feel I can connect spiritually rather than about these are all the rules and stick to these it's it's not about that so yeah those those are the things that helped me and on that note as we were talking about the the different layers and one of them that we've I'd already spoken to you about which is actually how I met you which was about body image and eating disorders and you came along to my event in the park local park um and we smashed our scales <laughs> yeah. in protest of weighing ourselves and feeling inadequate and not good enough um and I had no idea you had all these other things about you as well and obviously we've met recently which was obviously meant to be for you to come in here and share your story which is amazing 
Um, but yeah, so just going back to that then, because the people I, I am going to make a podcast of this. So the people that have listened to the podcast will have heard your previous story about the body image then, and that was quite a while ago, maybe year or two, two years or more? even longer I was still in my marriage so it must have been about four years ago three or four years ago yeah so from then till now can we have like an update like how where are you in in your journey of your body image how are you feeling about that now um so how am I feeling about it now well on the sort of outside the symptomatic things I'm not making myself sick I'm not overtraining. I'm not um under eating sometimes I get a little bit but this is the self-love thing where I'm a little bit disorganized and I haven't organized myself well enough so I miss a meal that kind of thing but it's more uh, uh, just a lack of organization and you know maybe a bit of lack of self-love rather than I'm, I'm trying to go into anorexia mm-hmm. um, so that's like the symptomatic stuff um, where I'm at I, I still get I still get a bit of body obsession but I think it's I mean firstly uh, disordered eating and that kind of stuff is also very linked to sexual abuse so it's very common for people who've experienced any kind of sexual abuse to develop some sort of disordered eating um, thing Um, and also that that where I can still get a little bit of body body conscious maybe I should say um, is for me again that's that's the whole thing of me trying to look outside of myself to get validation. So that's still my growth of learning to love and accept myself just as I am and come out of the mindset of, oh, if, you know, my bum looks like this or if I look like that or if then I'll get love. So that's about that external validation thing again. So I'm growing in it, I would say. I would say when I exercise now, it feels like a loving thing. It doesn't feel like a punishing thing. Um, you know, I can eat junk food now. It's not my... it's not top of the list of the things I like to eat because it's not the most nurturing, nourishing, loving food, but sometimes needs must and I will eat it and I won't then the next day feel like I have to run Mm -hmm. for an hour to, you know, work it off. So it's still a work in progress, but yeah, yeah, I can see the growth change. Which is also quite hard with things like body image, I feel, because in the society that we live in, we're still sold uh, an image that is, you know, perfect. We're told that that is the ideal of beauty. And obviously that changes. Bodies are fashionable, aren't they? Like in this era right now, there is a particular type of body that's fashionable and that'll be the bodies you see on magazines and on Instagram and and blah, blah, blah. Um, Like 20 years ago, it was a different body. 20 years before that, it was a different body. And just as nutrition advice changes. So I feel like it's harder now because you're bombarded with all this, what I call noise from outside, as I was Mm. saying with social media. But even without that, things that you see on, on TV, just walking the streets, adverts, um, posters on the wall. It, again, it, it's saying that you're not enough. You need to buy this product because you're not enough, because you're too fat, too thin, not the right shape. Um, and then it's, it's still, although it's a lot more male focused now, especially with the fitness industry, it's still very much females aren't enough. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in a way that, that almost suppresses you and your voice because you're focused then your whole time going around this hamster wheel of dieting and I'm not enough and you are just a woman to be looked at you're not a woman to speak to have views and opinions to change the world and help people with their lives yeah you become like an object really and sort of one-dimensional I'm just a body I'm just a face I'm just a um and it is playing into people's deep down insecurities of not being enough and not being lovable and not you know um yeah and that fashionable thing as well, you know, like, you know, just whatever's in fashion at the moment, like a pair of shoes or, yeah. 
managing all of the other things as well because obviously that one is like I'm saying it's ongoing because society is not going to change yeah obviously with um, like drugs and alcohol things like that although alcohol is still very much socially acceptable mm -hmm. uh, maybe drugs aren't so much so I guess it's different with different addictions but how do you manage um, like the cross-section of everything um, well, uh, sometimes in recovery, it's said that, you know, those games you get at the fair where um, you've got a hammer and you've got to hit the crabs as they pop up or whatever. And then you hit one and another one pops up and you hit yeah. one, another one pops up. And sometimes the journey of trying to heal and battle addiction is a bit like that. It's like, OK, I've got this one mastered. Something else pops up. And for me, that's always about this something in me that's still like, oh, I really don't want to do this life raw. I really don't want to feel what I need to feel. There's got to be something that can take the edge off and medicate me. Um, but the substances around um, drugs, alcohol and food I feel they've pretty much got the lid on them I mean I haven't drank or taken drugs in quite a long time now and um, and I'm used to that now, I can go out I can have a good time, I can dance all night and, and that in itself is a miracle, you know sometimes I've wanted to drop to my knees in the middle of the dance floor and just put my hands up in there and say thank you God because it is a miracle I can do that um, so yeah, so so I'd say the, the ones, the, the stuff that's really prevalent for me now is how I interact with men, um, uh, you know, I'm not in any sexual relationship at the moment, or but I'm trying to learn what's healthy for me. I'm trying to learn what I want, what's good for me. Um, but that's the other thing where you, it's like a catch-22. You have to learn that through relationship. Absolutely. Like you, you have to learn to love yourself first and be whole and not know that another person's going to top you up and make you a whole. Yeah. But you need to learn that through relationships. Maybe not even like sexual relationships, but relationships with your family and friends and things like that because I find my relationship with my daughter could be just as extreme as a, a relationship with my partner absolutely absolutely yeah because there's you know uh, part of it is I could just sort of cut myself off from all men and all people and all and I'll probably feel all right for a bit but it's not the reality the yeah, reality is we have exactly and for me whilst interacting with people is when I'm getting an opportunity to see my behaviors to learn new ways to behave so that kind of at the moment is where I'm at and just dealing with the um I've heard it called the, the adult child part of me so it's like I look like an adult, I should be functioning like an adult, but there's still a part of me inside that hasn't really grown up in as a child. Mm -hmm. And my journey now is about learning to love that child and that child developing so I can be, so I can actually operate as an adult and not yeah. a traumatised child. I think I mentioned to you when I saw you last about the, the Imago um, effect. Did you look into that at all? It's a book that I've read. It's actually about relationships. And um, I think it's like a, a scientific terminology. But what it means is we are attracted to people like our parents and it's because of a certain lesson that we need to learn or something that we weren't um we didn't get from them so we look for that in our partners and so that's why generally we seek the same partner over and over again until you learn those lessons absolutely absolutely and i have actually heard of that book and i did start to when i was married we started to try and do a couple of exercises from it to help us in our relationship did you do the Imago dialogue <laughs> Uh, I think so. Yeah, that's the is that the whole mirroring thing and yeah, I'm loving the Imago dialogue. Yeah, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah actually, I use it with my daughter, so, like my seven year old, not even the twenty year old, but the seven year old because I realised how little I actually listened to her. Like I could be in a rush from A to B, pick her up from school, drop her off somewhere. I'm going to do something. My brain's um, doing a million things at once, and she's telling me about her day at school, and I haven't really listened. So I've tried to like be quiet 
listen enough that I can actually repeat what she said. And she's, she doesn't notice. She's just like, oh, you know, this is great. We're having a conversation. And I'm looking at her and actually really listening and then repeating everything she said. No matter how silly it may seem, to her, that's her world. And that's important enough to tell me. And I need to be listening to that. That is amazing because on some level it might not be a cognitive conscious level but something in her is going to be knowing and learning that she's valued and that she is listened to and that's going to help her to have a voice because what what can happen to us and what happened to me is we can lose our voice when no one's listening to us and suddenly you're in situations where you're vulnerable and you don't have a voice because on a deep 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 level you've learned well no one's going to listen anyway so that's amazing what you're doing and she will she will be reaping the benefits of that yeah yeah. yeah. And the thing you said as well about being attracted to people like our parents, what I've learned is we, we, it's like, yeah, that is so true. And it's on such an unconscious level again. And we get attracted to dynamics from childhood, you know, certain um, traumatic dynamics. And, and uh, so one of the things I've learned only recently is that I have always been drawn to men who have had issues sexually in terms of because of their wounds, no fault of their own, but because of their wounds, they almost haven't been able to help but to be obsessively into porn or looking at other women when I'm with them because of their wounds. But the reason I attracted that was to do with my abuse and what I went through. And I was going back to that original trauma, trying to make that person who... um, because because they were basically acting out in paedophilia they couldn't help but do it with lots of people but I've been trying to go back to that original trauma and this time be like just have eyes only for me Do, mm-hmm. does that make yeah, sense so we sense. yeah so we recreate the trauma in in the hope that this time we can fix it yeah. when in reality is it wasn't our fault yeah. it was other people's behavior we can't go back into the past and fix it but we can deal with what we've got in the present and deal with the the after effects and the emotions and also that we don't need fixing yeah because we're not broken. Yeah, by others. And yeah. I feel like this remembering who you are is almost like remembering who you were before the trauma because that's the real, true, authentic you. And when we can get rid of all those layers, come back to our true self, which is what I did recently when I changed my name back to my original name. It felt really healing, actually, but quite scary to call myself my original name. It was, it was really strange. It was, it was just like that, remember who I am. And all of that crap in the middle yeah. <laughs> was just, you know, it wasn't me. Yeah, I love that. And that's true. And that's really inspiring because I still have my old married name. Partly out of, oh gosh, I can't be bothered to change oh, it's everything. It's so easy. You can just do deep. <laughs> right, I might have to speak to you when this is over. Because <laughs> I am thinking I felt inspired recently to go back to my maiden name. Interesting. Even though I didn't like it and couldn't wait to get rid of it. That's but exactly <laughs> what happened to me. So I was like, well, if I change my name to my married name, and it was great, and it was like, well, I've, I've healed that part of the past now because I'm now this new name and I could be a new person, live this new life, blah, 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 blah. And now I'm like, actually, I'm okay with what happened. I can have that name again because I'm okay with me. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I am going to be taking advice from, <laughs> you, from you on that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Deepol. You can change your name really easily. It's uh, not even expensive. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. But I have absolutely loved having you on the show today. You've shared um, amazing words with us, insights, inspiration, and I'm sure you've helped lots of people at home. So I'm definitely going to turn this into a podcast, take out the adverts, and if anyone's listening and would like to hear the whole thing, um, join my Facebook page, Weishi Radio, because I will always share everything on there afterwards as well. Um, and then you can... We can also add in Natasha's contact details later on because obviously you're about to get on social media, uh-huh. about to start blogging, yeah. and then we can start following you and, um, yeah, get, connect. Brilliant, fantastic. And I just want to say I've really enjoyed being on. It's been a little bit scary, but you make the experience a lot less scary. And uh, I just appreciate this opportunity, and I do hope 
someone, someone has got some hope and some help from what we've talked about. We definitely will have, even myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and me. Thank you.